0: 42 down, 323 to go. My name is Chris. This is At a Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movie's Rifkin's Festival, which is the Woody Allen film. It's his most recent film, but also probably his last, as well as the movie Scream, which is the reboot slash sequel of the 1995 film series. Also going to talk about Concessions month keeps rolling on. So, Lifesavers gummies. Uh, these are the gummy bear texture flavors of the Lifesavers candies. Uh, as well as the theater itself, Hooks at Regal, I went to, which is one of the, I don't know, more depressing, if not the most depressing theater I've gone to. But before we get into any of that, I do want to let you guys know about the next group outing. I know last month we did, uh, a, few, a few folks showed up, I don't know, about a dozen or so people showed up, which was great, at Cinema Salem for Back to the Future. So this month, uh, it's going to be The Godfather. The Godfather is getting a uh, a release for its 50th anniversary. The Godfather is my favorite film of all time. I think it's getting a release at all AMC theaters across the country, uh, I think for a one week, only run. I'm going to see it Thursday, the very first night it comes out. Thursday, February 24th at the AMC Methuen. That's Methuen, Massachusetts. If you don't know that area, it's pretty north. I don't want to say it's North Shore, but it's it's because it's not really the shore, but uh, it's it's pretty up there. It's close to the New Hampshire side for sure. But it's the AMC Methuen uh, at 6 p.m. That's Thursday, February 24th. I will say, if you're thinking about going, uh, get your tickets soon because. I think with it being the first night also being the godfather i think just a general excitement of people to kind of get out of the house those tickets are actually going pretty quick i think that's easily going to be the most crowded movie i've seen in this in this run i can't imagine i'll see anything and then up until then that would be even close to that uh, I got my ticket already, but like, even when I got, it, I got it a couple days ago, It's like pickings were getting pretty slim. So if you're thinking about going or want to go, go get your tickets now, you can get them. I think at the AMC website, I think on a Fandango as well, or wherever you get your tickets. Uh, but Godfather, February 24th, Thursday night, 6 PM. I'll probably get there at 5 30. That lobby's pretty large. So we can, you know, bullshit about Godfather, whatever, before the movie starts. Um, that's going to be an amazing, I've never seen the Godfather in the theaters before. I am very excited for that experience check that out with with me hopefully i'll I'll see you folks there um let's talk hooks at regal for a second so this is where i saw uh the movie scream so hooks at regal is in an industrial park now it's not a like true tried and two industrial park where it's you know it's say you know 18 different random manufacturing plants it's not quite like that i think there's like a a medical center and then like a polaris uh, like snowmobile place that also may create some parks there as well. That's the sign you see when you drive in. In fact, the industrial park is called central park two, which is odd. I mean, I, I I have to imagine that's just a, a second central park industrial park. I can't imagine they're calling this the sequel of the park in New York city. It would be bizarre. Uh, even either way you think they'd come up with some other name. I mean, I, I, I see no reason to call it central park or central park two. Uh, but so you drive in there and, um, it's just so depressing. I mean, I guess the good news is plenty of parking. I mean, industrial park is known for having a lot of space. So there's certainly, you know, free parking, uh, to your desire there, but it's an older theory. I think it was built in 2000 back when Hoyts owned it. Um, Hoyts also owned the theater in Newington too, I believe. Uh, and then I, think Regal bought them out, or at least bought out the ones in this territory, in the New Hampshire area around 2003, and it's been a Regal there ever since. I've never been to this theater. I will say four miles away is a bigger and nicer theater in Hooksted. I'll be going to that one, I think in the next few weeks here. Um, that one also claims to have an IMAX and I'll get into that whole debate of whether it's real or fake IMAX, I think when I go to that theater, but for the sake of this argument or argument or discussion, whatever we're having here, the theater is just seeing better days. It's it, it's very similar to the theater in Concord. They were both built around the same time by the same company. But, you know, 22 years later after it was built, when it's just kind of isolated, this one especially. I mean, at least the other one is, in Concord is next to like a borderline abandoned mall. This is near nothing. Uh, so, you know, you, you pull in there and concession stand is dark again. You have these like random like outdated video games in the corners like two or three of them and by 2022 standard it just seems like half of an effort which i get it i mean you know i mean a big reason obviously is the movie industry is tanking so i mean they're not gonna reinvest new funds into a outdated theater that honestly probably shouldn't exist i mean there's another theater that's nicer four miles away hookset is a city with a population of around 14,000 people now, Hookstead also is north of Manchester. Manchester is the biggest city in New Hampshire, has a population of over 100,000 people. But you know, you're know, that's asking a lot of people in Hookset and then whatever, I guess, Northern Manchester to drive up to these two theaters, one of them being in a kind of a, a industrial park that's in part of the city that, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say abandoned, but it's seen better days and the theater itself is not very inspiring. I don't know, the the whole experience was kind of downbeat. And then I go in there to watch Scream and I'm the only one in there, which, honestly added a little level of excitement i've never been to like a slasher film with the only person in the audience you are kind of waiting for someone to jump out behind the corner and right when the movie ended but be- before the credits happened i heard the door open behind me i'm like holy shit i turned around it was just the guy it was all ready to, to sweep up the place i think he might even thought there was no one even in there so then i i was like all right the credits started then i say 20 seconds later i threw my coat on i uh, i picked up my lifesaver gummy bag, gummy Gummies. I still had half the bag left. I put it in my pocket. I walk out and I'm alone again. So I don't know if he saw me in there and just like waited for me to be gone or if they just go and sweep up. I don't know. As I, as I talked, who do I have on? I think I had Ned Snark on. I explained how when I saw the movie Bell, sometimes you'll go to these movies and... You're the only one there, but if I was, if I had never gone, would they still have shown the movie? And I think the answer is yes. I think they're playing these movies to ghosts. I think it must just have a timer or whatever it is, or maybe in the case of a late arrival, they just start them up and let let it play out. So I'm sure this kid probably has gone in there, cleaning theaters, or at least gone in there to take a look around to make sure a the theater was clean that no one had been in. Um, I'm guessing that's becoming more and more the norm, especially for these weekday matinees. So Hooks at Regal, I don't know, it, it's pretty depressing. I, I said, if they, if they close that, obviously, I don't wanna see any movie theater close, but if you're gonna close one, I mean, with there's one right down the street, more or less, it's like 10 minutes away. I, I, don't, I don't know, I, I don't know if there's a real need there. But the other theater I went to uh, when I saw Rifkin's Festival was The Landmark in Kendall Square. I've gotten there quite a few times. Um, that's been kind of like my Thursday go-to after I tape on Kirk show. I, uh, I run over to Cambridge and catch a movie that theater is great. They play a lot of theaters that you just So I'm sorry. There are a lot of movies that you just can't find anywhere else. So that's been, that's been the go-to, uh, for me pretty consistently. This is the most crowded movie I've seen is this Rifkin's festival. It was the last day they were showing it. And there is still an audience. There is still that loyal Woody Allen audience. I'll get into Woody Allen and my opinions about the movie or him in a bit, but, um, it was all like super old people. Like everyone in there must've been like 70 plus. And a few of them were like, you could tell we we're like neurotic, like they were talking to themselves. They sit down and they're complaining about the chair or they were like, they were under their breath, complaining about someone behind them. Like there was, I always felt like I was in like, you know, with mini Woody Allen's if you will, but, the, but in fairness though, once the movie started, everyone was quiet. It, it would, I said that i had been, I don't say six or seven people there, which for that theater, like when I saw that movie, Jockey, there were two people there to have seven people. There was a lot for, for that place, especially a movie that hasn't really gotten any publicity for a variety of reasons. Um, but I guess to its credits, you know, if you're a Bostonian that loves Woody Allen movies, it's the only place you're going to see it. So I guess I explained why some people were there. Lifesaver gummies. Uh, so I think these are pretty good candies. Um, I would say they're the second best candy I've had except for Sour Patch Kids. You know, sweet as fish. Reese's Pieces, both great candies. But for me, the Lifesaver gummies were were really good. I love that there's five different flavors. You got the cherry, watermelon, green apple, orange, strawberry. Uh, They do actually taste unique enough. They are pretty different. You can get a bag of what they call the wild berries. Those are pretty good too, but I got the the regular. I got the standard for the sake of the show. A lot of people compare them to the Welch's. I know those, I I saw even on Twitter when I posted the picture of the Lifesaver's gummies, I saw some real Welch's hate. I think somebody wrote like fuck Welch's <laughs> very dramatic anger toward Welch's. I think it's a whole different, whole different animal, if you will. Like right? the, the Welch's it's only the one flavor. Typically. I think like, I would rather have like Welch's if I'm going to have lunch. Like, you know, when I make a lunch for myself, you have a sandwich, you know, you, maybe you throw in a bag of chips and then maybe you have a, a, a fruit, you know, the, uh, the fruit snacks, the uh, uh, thing there. You know, nothing beats the fruit roll-up, probably. That's probably the, the greatest fruit snack you can have in, in your lunch. But you have a pack of the Welch's. I don't know if I'd want a pack of the Lifesaver's gummies if I'm going to have lunch. But for the movie theater experience, I think the Lifesaver's gummies is the way to go. I know some people feel like oh you can only have so many of these before you kind of get tired of them or do they feel weird in your stomach because like you know a large gummy nature of them or whatnot i don't know I, I think i can enjoy more of them than i can say like reese's pieces like after a while the reese's pieces the peanut butter flavor gets to be too much for me but the lifesavers gummies i don't know holds it pretty well i'd say i had like two-thirds of the bag when i was sitting there watching the scream i think the history of lifesavers the actual candy is more interesting than lifesavers gummies so the uh, lifesavers gummies were created 1992, but you know, obviously, uh, you know, deriving from the original lifesavers, the hard candy, those were created 1912 and they actually had really two fathers. So a man named Clarence Crane invented the lifesaver, the hard candy, uh, as a, uh, as a summer candy. That was his mentality there because he thought chocolate didn't hold up well in the heat, but these new lifesavers would. And he called them lifesavers because he thought they looked like little life preservers. Um, I always thought they were called lifesavers because like if you had bad breath and you popped them in, I'm like, Oh, you know, this is, this was a lifesaver. I had this kid, but it's not, not the case, I guess, I guess it was because, um, of of the life preserver Look, a man named Edward J. Noble, uh, about 15 years later, bought the rights to the candy, um, from Clarence Crane. He bought them for $2,900 and the candy at that point, wasn't a huge seller. It was uh, mildly successful, but not, not a huge hit, but Edward J. Noble was a really bright businessman. He made two changes right away. He took out, I guess they were in cardboard wrappers before and he put them then in a foil wrapper, but the other change was, uh, was more financially motivated and that was, he put the candies right next to the register. So anytime he went to these stores as a supplier, he asked that they be placed right next to the register. Cause he. He, he thought they would be more, I guess, more successful as an impulse buy. And they certainly were. And, and that's really what, what led them to really take off as the thirties and forties increased. Uh, in fact, it made Edward J. Noble so much money that in 1943, he was able to purchase a subsidiary of NBC. And he's the one that started the ABC TV network. Back then there were two networks, you had CBS and, and NBC, uh, and ABC uh, was the third network to the table. And in fact, it really struggled. Uh, Edward J. Noble, and by 1951, ended up selling uh, ABC off to a, another person who was really able to kind of build it into more of an established network uh, from 1951 on. But uh, Noble was on the board of directors until his death uh, a few years later. So Noble was always involved with ABC up, up until he died, but he, he didn't own the network for the, the rest of his life. Yeah. Lifesaver gummy is really good. I did a poll of the first four candies and I'll do it for the second four candies as well. The poll was for the first four candies was Reese's Pieces, Swedish Fish, Sour Patch Kids, and Snowcaps. And Reese's Pieces won the poll by by a mile. I think I won it like 47%. Uh, I think it was like 20 points higher than anything else. So I'll, and I'll put that, I think we'll do like a fine, you know, we'll do four polls of four and then we'll have a final poll. Um, so... Reese's Pieces is moving on to the final. So, you know, I'll do the next poll after uh, the next show, which will uh, air on uh, on Monday morning. You're hearing this on Saturday. So next show will be Monday morning. And then uh, on Monday, I'll put the poll out for for the uh, following Four Candies, which Lifesaver Gummies will be part of. Okay, Rifkin's Festival. So this movie's terrible. Um, Hey, look, I don't like Woody Allen. Uh, I... Have major issues with uh, what he's done in his past with uh, the Sunni stuff, and uh, his other children have made some pretty horrible allegations against them. I don't find Woody Allen particularly funny. I never did. I will say these allegations, uh, all the Sunni stuff and some of the other stuff, uh, the Mia allegations, rather, all kind of came out in the early mid 90s. So I was around 12, 13, 14 when that stuff all really started to blow up. And so I never really, I guess, had a chance to really enjoy Woody Allen. I mean, in the 80s, his stuff was always, it was just too old for me. I never really, I I wouldn't have appreciated it anyway. And then by the time I was old enough to appreciate it, he was tainted by these scandals. So uh, I will say that. But I will also say like, I just don't find him... Very entertaining. I think, like the next level Woody Allen, so what we saw on Seinfeld or Kirby Enthusiasm, like like, what Larry David was able to do with the Woody Allen template, I think is much more entertaining. Um, That's, you know, the Seinfeld stuff, Kirby Enthusiasm are brilliant. Some of my favorite comedies on TV, period. So I understand how some people enjoy that Woody Allen, that template, that character, if you will, because I enjoy the next generation of it. So I, I can appreciate that. I just don't find him very funny. I don't think Al- Annie Hall is very funny. Manhattan, to me, is one of the most disgusting films of the last 50 years that major studios put out. It's really disturbing and weird. Rifkin's Festival is not a disturbing movie, but it's certainly a weird one, and it's certainly a bad one. I'm going to give Rifkin's Festival a D-. And the biggest problem with Rifkin's Festival is... I guess the miscasting. Um, he uh, Woody Allen, who remember this movie came out in twenty twenty. Um, uh, so Woody Allen eighty six now. He was eighty four when this when we directed this. Uh, he cast Wallace Shawn. Uh, as the lead. And Wallace Shawn is playing the Woody Allen type character. Wallace Shawn, of course, from My Dinner with Andre, Princess Bride, he's in Clueless. Uh, He's been in a a number of of movies. You definitely recognize his face if you saw it, if if you don't know the name offhand. Uh, And he's a smart, he's a really smart guy. But Wallace Shawn himself uh, was 76 when this movie came out. And he spends the entire movie... Uh, fixated on either his wife played by Gina Gershon, who's one of the most, you know, she's in her late fifties now, but even so still beautiful and was stunning in her thirties. Wallace Shawn was never <laughs> stunning, but even so, whatever. And then also chasing after a doctor um, played by uh, Elena Anya, who I, I'm not uh, really f- very familiar with, but it looks sort of like a like, Katie Holmes type. I mean, I guess she was 44 when this came out. She looks even younger. She's beautiful. The idea that this doctor, Gina Gershon, would like spend any time even dealing with Wallace Shawn on a sexual level is just bizarre to me. It's very strange. And I know Woody Allen does that with a lot of his movies. He'll, He'll put himself in these roles. And I don't know if it's more forgivable when it's just Woody Allen being Woody Allen in these things. Even then, it was always kind of strange. Like in Manhattan, he has all these women lusting after him and you're like, what, what are we doing here? Um, the fact that it's 2020 is still kind of hitting these same beats, but this time just with Wallace Sean in the you know Woody Allen avatar is just bizarre. Um, it's also just a really poorly made film. It's at a point now where, you know, Woody Allen for a long time could just you know, obviously pick whoever he wanted to be in his movies. And this is true as of 2019. He had Timothy Chalamet in his movies. Uh, you know, look through the cast, even the stuff of the last decade. And so it's a who's who of some of the biggest stars in Hollywood where this movie has Steve Gutenberg's in this movie. Uh, and, you know, it's, even more bizarre, Steve Gutenberg is playing Wallace Shawn's brother. Now these guys are almost 20 years apart in age. Steve Gutenberg is a good-looking guy that's Held up really well. Wallace Sean looks like he's... I know he's in his late 70s. He looks like he's in his 80s. Like, he can barely, like, walk around in this movie. Uh, it is bizarre they would be... Bro- maybe father-son, I guess, but brothers is so strange. And I, I don't know, like, what Woody Allen sees sometimes with these things. I know he, like, always has issues with age, but then will confront age, like, in a movie like Manhattan. But in other times, like, in this one, just completely ignore it, even though it's very clear. It's a major factor. I, I don't really get it. So I guess the other big name in this movie is Christoph Waltz. Now, Waltz is, uh, he's in he's in the credits. as starring this movie. You don't see him until there's eight minutes left in the movie. So he's barely in it. Uh, but the movie itself is, the idea is that um, Gina Gershon and Wallace Shawn go to a film festival in Spain. And Wallace Shawn's having issues with, with his marriage with Gina Gershon. And it keeps cutting away or he has dreams because Wallace Shawn's a big film fan of, uh, and the dreams are in the frame of classic films, like black and white European films like Jules and Jim or Eight and a Half. So like Fellini or Bergman or uh, so, you know, it'll keep kind of cutting away. I don't say the spoofs, but almost like reimaginings of some of those movies, which is a fine technique, I guess. I don't think is anything particular clever about that in 2020? Um, That might've been an interesting thing to kind of play with the 1968, but now it feels, it doesn't feel that original or interesting. The stuff that's not, that's taking place in our real time and our reality, if you will, at times shot poorly. Now we had the cinematographer, and I'm going to say his name wrong, uh, Vittorio Sitaro. Uh, Now Sitaro is a great cinematographer. He did Apocalypse Now, which is shot brilliantly. He did The Last Emperor, which is amazingly shot. But I mean, now he's, he's also in his late 70s. And sometimes, like, the lighting was strange. He would try to bathe things in sunlight, but it didn't quite work. The editing was bizarre. Uh, now it's the same editor he's had since 1999. Uh, editor is Elisa Lepstelter. Uh, see, the thing is, like, Woody Allen now can only work with either. The people he's always worked with or actors who like Steve Gutenberg types. Because uh, no one knew will work with, with Alan. I mean, he's, he's so tainted finally by these scandals. It's amazing that he was able to get away with this for so long. So like Roman Polanski. I mean, these guys have major skeletons in their closet and people were still lying up to work with them. But that's just not the case anymore. And that's what happened with this movie. So in February 2019, uh, Amazon Studios uh, had already signed a deal with Woody Allen. They dropped him from the deal. It was a five-picture deal, and, and they cut him. So uh, he was basically a, a free agent, but no one wanted him. So he ended up signing a deal for to make this movie with uh, a production company, Gravier Productions, Media Pro, Wildside. Those are the production companies. I've never even heard of those. they distributed in Spain and Italy. So it did actually get a release two years ago. It's just not getting a release in America until... Uh, I think this came out January 28th. So, you know, fairly recently. And I think this might be even a a Landmark Theater's exclusive. This movie is now obviously not going to make very much money. It was actually an interesting note here. Uh, Photography began before the pandemic. It began in July of 2019 in Spain. It ended on August 16th, a week ahead of schedule. I'm not surprised to hear that. Things look, I mean, I guess I am surprised because things look rushed. uh, So you'd almost think they were like behind schedule and playing catch up. But just, you could tell they were just like barreling through these, these scenes and some of the line readings are awkward. You know, Woody Allen at this point is really old. And like I said he's 83, 84 when he directed this. It's his 49th ninth film. Uh, he has—he has, I don't think he has anything, uh, any films he's working on right now. So I think this is probably going to be the the end for him. But you know, you hear Quentin Tarantino say, "I, I want to stop at ten movies because it doesn't go well for old directors." And I, you know, I'm such a huge Tarantino fan. I hear that, and I kind of you know, I kind of win. So I'm like, well, no, I don't know. Scorsese is still doing good stuff. I, I love The Irishman. Uh, Eastwood is still doing, you know, up until re- pretty recently he was still doing good stuff into his eighties. I mean, Sully is something he directed in his eighties. That's a good movie. So, I mean, I don't know. You can still make it work, but like, I, I think those are exceptions. I think Tarantino is actually probably right. I, you know, once the director does get too old, it does get sloppy. Look at Hitchcock and look, I don't like Woody Allen, right? I have some issues with him, but Manhattan is a beautiful film. Uh, you know, obviously you have Gordon Willis's, uh, cinematography there. But I mean, you know, Woody Allen was there directing that as well. And it is an absolutely, it's one of the most beautiful films you'll ever see. This is not, this is a slap together movie. This movie looks like shit. It's just a sloppy movie made by, uh, it's either made by someone who's his first movie or it's the last. It's a, you know, a really young person's raw or some old guy that is just kind of going through the motions here. There's nothing new in this that he's trying to say that he hasn't already said in a lot of his uh in a lot of even his more recent movies another example match point match point a beautiful film that film looks really good it's not as beautiful as manhattan but it's a good crisp movie it's really well edited it's a sharp movie this has none of that um this this is a, a really bad movie by anyone standard yeah d minus for me uh, a pr- pretty awful film okay so scream so scream is similar i guess in some regards to rifkin's festival in that You know, everyone going to Rifkin's Festival loves Woody Allen. That's why they're going. Everyone who's going to see this movie, I imagine, uh, is a fan of the first film series. Uh, If you're a fan of the Scream films, you'll like this. If you're not a fan, then you won't. Honestly, I don't think you can see this without knowing the previous films. It has so many callbacks to it, but that's kind of the fun of the movie. So this movie Scream, uh, the 2022 version, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm gonna give it a, a really solid B minus. It's almost a B, but just just kind of misses there. This is good. This is fun. Um, it's at its best when it's making fun of the idea of a reboot or the idea they call it a requel. Uh, and they and they have this whole long monologue about uh, what it means to be a requel. It talks about the Star Wars, or and it kind of lists a bunch of the movies that we we've seen kind of get these reboots that also have some legacy characters mixed in there. And it ha- and Scream has that as well. It has Courtney Cox, David Arquette. Nev Campbell, all reprising their roles. That's fun. And I really enjoyed that with the first Scream, you know, the Jamie Kennedy stuff when he was kind of explaining the rules of what a horror movie is. So all of those things are, are pretty fun. The slasher stuff themselves... Less fun for me. I, I mean, it's not. You know, it definitely doesn't hold back. So, if you're someone that's really kind of squeamish about gore, I don't know why you'd see a scream movie anyway. But um, this is a you know a rated R movie. is a lot of blood. You know, they, they definitely don't hold back from that. Uh, but it's it also doesn't really break any new ground. Where I feel like the first scream did still like yes it was definitely putting the genre on its ear and making fun of the genre and being super meta and this movie does that as well but i also felt like it was doing some new interesting scary things i mean that first open with drew barrymore is terrifying this doesn't have anything like that in it now this is the first a screen movie that was not directed by wes craven this was directed by a team uh the guy's name is uh, two guys excuse me matt benatelli Open and Tyler Gillette, and they are known as, I guess, Radio Silence. It's kind of like their their partnership name. And they directed this. Uh, and uh, the f- previous four movies were directed, of course, like I said, by Wes Craven, who died in 2015. And there hasn't been a Scream sequel in over 10 years. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, a Wes Craven died, and then b all the Weinstein stuff. You know, for years, Scream was a huge moneymaker for Merrimax. And then when the Weinstein scandal broke, and then didn't really have a home. Eventually, Paramount wisely grabbed it. And Paramount is now kind of known as kind of a joke around some in some movie circles as a, this only studio that doesn't have any IP. And that's why they're really struggling. To Paramount's credit, they've been doing their best to try to pick up some IPs. Now, obviously, they have Top Gun. They have Mission Impossible. Adding something like Scream is especially wise for them. Scream movies don't cost very much to make. And they, they turn a pretty good profit. This one costs $24 million. You figure after marketing and everything, say $40 or $50 million. It's already brought in over 120 worldwide. Uh, I think it's made what 70 domestic. The other IP they have that they've been that they just put out last week, Jackass, Jackass forever, um, Jackass movies don't cost anything to make. Made 28 million dollars last week. So that's exactly what Paramount should be doing. Is you know it doesn't need to be superheroes. It you know, doesn't need to be Star Wars. There are some other IPs out there that people do still love and still want to go see, especially ones that don't cost a lot to make. That is perfect. Paramount, you no, know, people have been... No- I've been making fun of them for sure the last couple of years. People have been knocking them. They've... No studio has been smarter to start this year off than Paramount. Uh, and you figure... I know they pushed Mission Impossible back, so it doesn't look like we're getting one of those movies this year. But they got Top Gun coming this summer. And if they can get a couple other IPs out there, like a Scream or Jackass that are don't cost a ton to make that still have a real adoration, especially among Gen Xers that have some disposable income right now as they get older, that's a smart play right there. And this movie is pretty good. Um, like I said, they, they don't break any new ground. The meta stuff is is fun. The new cat, like the, the younger kids are, are good. Uh, Melissa Barara is the, is the lead there, uh, kind of the lead new kid, if you will. Uh, she's very good. Um, the cast is strong. I don't say any real true standouts, but it, it's certainly a fun movie, um, but don't expect it to be as good as the original Scream. But I think it's it might even be just as good, if not better, than some of the sequels. So uh, well, if you enjoy Scream, definitely go out and see it for sure. Uh, if you're someone that's kind of lukewarm on Scream or don't like it, obviously this is, this is a pass. If you've never seen any screen movies, you're definitely going to want to uh, watch them uh, to before you, you head in. Cause it, there's just so many callbacks. You'll be completely lost. Okay. So I'll be back on Monday with a box office report. I'll have a budget report and I'll have seen a couple movies that I think should be pretty interesting to talk about. I'm going to see Beatles get back uh, on IMAX. I'm seeing that um, on Saturday. So that's a it's the rooftop concert they had. I don't love to see concert movies, but this is getting a wide release uh, among IMAX theaters at least. And it's the Beatles. So I think there's a lot to talk about there. And then the other movie I'm seeing is Bridesmaids. Um, it's getting a uh, a one day showing on Super Bowl Sunday in the morning. So I'll be checking out Bridesmaids as well. I think it's playing at the Red River Theater in Concord. So I'll uh, have reports on those theaters, on those movies, as well as the box office and the budget report. I will talk to you folks on Monday.